Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Uh, as always, I am Killing Bird, and on the other side of the line is Ron Fez Buddy. What's up, Diego? I am good, Derek. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting into uh, holiday mode. I'm ready to eat turkey and get presents. Ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's I. You know, I usually end up being the one that has to give a lot of presents, um, and I can't really make a turkey. I'm not. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> my wife. My wife is is getting better at that. So you know, we're trying to provide that traditional. Thanksgiving thing, but I, first of all, I grew up in an Italian uh, household, right? My parents are both from Italy, and uh, uh, that turkey was like, like the secondary thing. It was the pasta, and like we actually would have like meat, right? We would have beef, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and turkey, and but like turkey would be like, uh, all right, yeah, you gotta have a little turkey on the plate, but really it was yeah. the, the the big ziti and or the lasagna or um, the random things that my father would make with oil. Uh, <laughs> Every vegetable was oil, uh, an oil-based thing. Um, very healthy, very, very, yeah. very healthy. But yeah, I guess uh, I guess I'm 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 heading into that mode too. Now that I now that I'm an adult and have my uh, my own family, we're we're doing the traditional thing too. Nice. Yeah, it'll be it'll be good times. Um, but other than that, just uh, you know, working on the site and playing poker whenever I can. Cool. Um, you know, staying busy. Did you enjoy the main event broadcast? Did you watch? I, did you watch the broadcast, or did you watch the live stream on ESPN three? I actually managed to hold out and watch, you know, the live or not the live, the broadcast on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um, so I avoided the live stream and also avoided any news, uh, which of course meant not spending much time in the in the forums, the chat room, uh, or any other poker related site. But I, I just, I don't know, I kind of like it that way better. I'm not big on sitting in front of my computer. Well, Although I sit on my computer in front of my computer a lot, I don't like to watch television per se on my computer too much. Yeah. Um, so I, I just decided to kind of hold out. I used to get the pay per view when they when they did the pay per view, and Me I too. loved that. Me too. Because um, then I could you know I could grind some tables and I could watch and maybe have some friends over and uh, and all that stuff. But I, yeah, I decided to hold out, and I thought it was uh, I thought it was a great final table. I mean, it yeah. was it was certainly I think skill wise one of the best lineups. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, well, first of all, I would have done the ESPN ESPN3 broadcast, but Cablevision is not a ESPN3 provider, so I couldn't get uh, it. And I although I would have cuz I too, I loved the pay-per-views. I would sit up all night and watch it. And I probably would have done this. I would have probably just hooked up my computer to the TV or hooked up like another computer to the TV and because I have two computers here, like I have an old one and, and my current one, and then probably just play while I was watching it. So okay. I, I would have done that, but I, I didn't have, I, I wasn't given the option. So I actually, and I, and I didn't have the option last year. Um, well, I guess they, they didn't do this last year, did they? I don't think so. Right. But I, I just avoid, I tried to avoid it last year and I was not successful. Like I, I you know, something unrelated to poker I clicked on and I see, you know, you know youngest main or young main event champion or whatever it was that right. you know, told me it was caught up somehow. Um, and so I would have, you know, I would have, I would have uh, liked to watch it because I thought I couldn't avoid it, but I actually did avoid it. I was able to stay away from everything and I got the same experience that you did. I watched it on the ESPN for the, 
you know, for the first time and experienced it as I didn't know anything, which is pretty cool. I didn't expect to be able to do that, but I probably would have watched it in full if I could. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It, and it was actually kind of cool watching it more as a fan. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm close to a fan anyway, but uh, it was just kind of cool seeing what the experience was like from that standpoint, because that's what a huge percentage of the casual poker player slash fan experiences, you know? So yeah. from a poker businessman, it was kind of cool to get that experience from, from their viewpoint. So I, I, I feel like I have that like post season feeling though. Like when baseball season, I'm a big baseball fan when baseball season ends, like, I yeah. don't know. I, I really like the November nine concept because kind of talking about this final table for four months and, you know, what's learning about each player, listening to podcasts where they, where they, they come on and talk, talk. I, I really enjoy that buildup and, you know, now that it's over, it's like uh, it's a while before we get back to the to the you know the action. But you know, next year maybe ne- next year we'll be hopefully winning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll be going well, deep right in, in the main event. Well, what's really crazy to me, and it dawned on me while watching the program, is that it's not very far away no. when you think about it. I mean, you know, 2011 is almost here, and then we're what five five six months away from it starting. So and we're um, we're not that many months away from qualifiers on. You know, stars and tilt. You know? Yeah, that, that's that starts point. in like March for a lot of them. Um, you know, and and and, uh, and one thing I think they're announcing the schedule for the WSOP in December. That's what I have heard. So oh. we'll hear what what's going on. Um, and uh, I also hear that they're probably changing venue from the Rio to some to somewhere else because uh, I think they're selling the Rio. Yeah, I've been hearing that as well. Yeah, so I mean, you know, we're literally a couple months away from planning schedules and playing satellites and and everything else that goes along with it. So we'll be right back in the heart of WSOP fever before we know it. Yep, yep. So I definitely enjoyed this broadcast. The um, like you said, the skill level this year was so much higher. Like I, I, I Joseph Chong was really. I mean, you know, we'll we're gonna bring the pros in to talk about some hands, and you know, everyone knows about you know the quote unquote blow up um, three handed. But uh, man, he is a beast, and to, like, if I really wish he had won, because yeah. that would have been he would have been like, as far as I can tell, as far as I can remember, you know, from since the boom, the, clearly the best champion, the best, the most skilled champion, um, the most respected champion. It would have been so nice to have a guy be champion who is like, hey, this guy might be the best tournament player, you know? I mean, not, not that <laughs> right. you know, he may not be the best tournament player, but you could, if he won the main event, you could. You can make that argument with him, and people certainly respect him. And so it's too bad that 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 he had that blow up, um, but he played, you know, fantastically, and it was a lot of fun to watch watch him play. And and, uh, and I, you know, it's, it would have also been fun because I, I played against him. I mean, he probably doesn't remember me because we don't have, we don't have that many hands. I just remember him because of his online name is Sublime, but with two eyes, so it's Sublime, right? Right. And right. I just always thought that name was interesting because it would trick me. So I remember the name. Um, yeah. And then when I heard that that was who he was, I was I was like, oh, that's so awesome! Can't hope this yeah. happens. But uh, but yeah, a lot of interesting hands, a um, lot of you know, just very very, you know, exciting hands, right? I mean, not for just yeah. particularly, but like the Jarvis Mizraki hand, you know? Right. Yeah. Tons of drama for sure. Yeah. So I will get more into it when we bring the pros in. I think we're gonna spend some time with them talking about the main event, just because you know that's so, it's the biggest tournament in the world. But uh, but I I enjoyed it. I'm gonna miss it. Definitely. And in terms of playing poker, how's that going for you? Uh, November's not as good as October. <laughs> put it that way. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, it's it's the ebb and flow. I'm not. I'm running bad in the big spots. Um, 
Feeling good though. Uh, I, I, I'm making less mistakes. There's a hand that we're going to talk about later, uh, that I brought for the pros that I, I just kind of was completely lost. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to get beat up for, but aside from that, I think I'm, you know, a, a lot of improvements based on things that I've gotten from talking to these guys about, you know, things that I might have been doing wrong. And I definitely think I'm plugging the things I've, that, that they've surfaced already. So, so overall, I'll feel good about the game and I'm making a lot of deep runs, but just not winning the flips. So, you know, that'll change. Yeah. That'll change. Yep. Yeah, I know. Um, How about you? For me, it, I, you know, things are going pretty good. I, I'm seeing a lot of deep runs, which, you know, I've talked about this a lot in the past. Like, deep runs always seem to be followed by a win eventually. Like, you just, you, just, you know, you start to have like a 13th and a 22nd and a, you know, yeah, 15th. And then the next thing you know, you bink one or two or more. Right. Um, so I feel like that's coming. And, it, you know, so you talked about filling holes. Like, it's, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this today. You know, I can remember you and I having conversations two years ago. Mm-hmm saying, man, I'm playing so much better now. I'm playing the best poker of my life. You know, I've really filled a ton of holes. And it, it really does demonstrate how you just have to constantly be improving your game. Yeah, well, I mean, the game is just evolving. I, the game is yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and we're never as good as we think we are. And, and I thought I was pretty good a year ago. Yep. I thought I was decent. I didn't yep. think I was amazing or anything, but I thought I was okay. Um, but, man, I still have so, so much to learn. So it, it's been uh, – yeah, it's been a – a great experience having this site and, and learning a lot from our members and from the pros. Yep. Uh, oh, that shows them. you what, like, being around great players, you know, like, like it's easy. I mean, I went on an amazing run. Like, this year has been a break-even year for me, but the previous years, for me, were great. I, I made a decent amount of money, and I was my ROI was very high, and so I had less incentive to really, you know, listen. I mean, I you know, I definitely am receptive to feedback, but I definitely – thought I was better than I was because my results were great, right? And then right. now, n- not only from my results being, you know, average now, but from, you know, some of the, 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 the hands I've screwed up and I've gotten, you know, beat up on, like, I could, like, I, or just like talking to Casey, every, you know, every other day or whatever, and just th- seeing how he thinks about poker, I could just see big holes. So, yeah. So the the listener is going to get to go along with us and get become better because I think we'll we're definitely getting better. So. Yeah, I agree. Cool. And um and we'll I guess we'll get an opportunity to find out if we've gotten any better in uh in a couple of weeks. I know we're both heading up to Atlantic City for the World Series circuit event. Yeah. When are you going to be there? I'm going to be there uh, for a full week from the second through the ninth of December. So I'm going to play. I believe it's five events while I'm there. Really jealous. I kind of hate you because <laughs> <laughs> I can only go for like two days. Like I would have gone for the weekend. Like you know, you know my deal. I have I have kids. I have a wife, and I have a full time job. So poker is a serious hobby, but it's you know I can't take too much time off. And I actually would have gone from. Uh, I'm going for the seventh and the eighth, and I would have gone for longer, but I have a family friend. Uh, I don't know some some sort of christening or or something they do to kids and when they're young. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the most religious guy in the world on, on that Sunday. So um, some sort of ceremony that I have to go to. So I'm missing that, but I'll be there for the seventh and the eighth, and uh, and I'll, and 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 I know you're going to be there for a longer time. And I, from what I see on the thread, a lot of lot of uh, there are a number of TP members coming down, right? Yeah, it seems like there's going to be uh, quite a few. You know, I mean, I figure. There's, I think of probably four, five, six who've, who've said they're coming in the in the threads, um, and I just have to assume that there's going to be a, a few other people who show up unexpectedly or just don't post in the forums a ton and come out. But right, right. Um, I think between members and some of the members of Tournament of Oak Ridge team who are going, uh, we should have a pretty good crowd out there. So it'll be it'll be fun. I'm just looking forward to playing live. Haven't really played a live tournament since 
summertime. So I, I played at the Borgata and that awesome Queen Queen's Hand that's on the forum. Ah, uh, yes. That's the last time I played, so I really want to go back and play because um, wow, I learned a lot. We should get into we should do that hand one day on on the strategy because that really opened my eyes to a lot of the way you need to be thinking. Um, you know, not to not to tease and <laughs> and, and right. not, you know, bring it out for the listeners now, but we definitely need to hit that hand um, in the future, and and it's more of a mid stage hand. So when we get move start moving more to the mid stages, we'll bring that out. Um, yeah, we'll we'll do that for sure. Okay, cool. Well, cool. So, yeah, so so I guess uh um we'll definitely be getting together with the TP members at some point. I'm getting in the, on the actually on the sixth at night, the Monday night, so that I could be fresh and ready to play on. The seventh at eleven a.m. is when the tournament starts. So I'll be in on the sixth. So either, either we'll schedule some sort of get together, you know, in the sixth, depending on when I get in, or for the seventh, whenever that day ends for tournaments. Although I don't know if that's, you know, I get, you know, you know how it is when you get a bunch of people together for poker tournaments, right? It's you can't really plan anything because right. you never know who's going to be available. Everyone, yeah, or not busted, but we'll 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 figure out something to get everyone together. Yeah, we'll make it work one way or another, so it'll be good. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to um, move into strategy here in a second, and what do we got uh, on tap for the strategy topic today? Okay, well, we got a couple of things. First of all, we have um, Big Dog, Pocket Fives, is back, uh, and this time he has he's he's working uh, here. He's on the, on the line with us with T-Twist, who is one of the newer TPE pros. Um, we brought T-Twist and Cougars4444 on board to help us uh, – really focus on this, the low to mid stakes tournaments, which a lot of our members are playing and T twist and big dog are actually old friends, um, fellow Canadians. And they're, they're, they're great to talk to about poker, especially when you get them together. They're funny guys too. So, uh, we brought those two guys on and they are going to, uh, we're going to talk strategy. We're going to, we're going to be talking first off about some of the pivotal and interesting world series hands. And then we'll go on to talk about hands that involve position. And uh, we're kind of breaking a little bit the rule of early stage only because some of the hands that we found that were – or one, I think we found one hand that was later stage just was a really interesting. So you know, let's just talk about it. It's, 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 not, it's not really even mid-mid stages. It's like early mid-stages. So I think All it's right. okay to talk about. It's still pretty, pretty deep stack. But, uh, but those are the topics we're going to talk about. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, we'll take a quick break, and we will be right back with T-Twist and Big Dog Pocket Fives. Hey, this is Killing Bird from TournamentPokerEdge.com, here to tell you about our exclusive rakeback program. Tournament Poker Edge offers up to 40% rake back on sites such as Full Tilt Poker, Absolute Poker, Ultimate Bet, and Cake Poker. If you're playing online and not getting rake back, you are just giving money away. So visit rakeback.tournamentpokeredge.com and sign up for the Tournament Poker Edge rake back program and start getting paid to play today. Don't get 
everybody. Welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Excited to get our strategy segment started here. So let me begin by welcoming T-Twist and Big Dog Pocket Fives to the show. Hey, guys, what's going on? What's up? Hey, how you doing, TP Nation? So what's going on up in Canada? Is it friggin' cold up there yet? Well, I mean, uh, my penguin is outside and enjoying the snow. Uh, just built the third igloo in the backyard. Oh, it's beautiful here. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a nice fall day. Everybody thinks we're all trapped in our house right now down there in the States. I know that, but uh, it's like 60 degrees outside, and it's, it's fine. So I haven't ha- seen a flake of snow. Have you guys seen Jonathan Duhamel yet? Since you guys all know each other, right? Yeah, he uh, he lives right down the street from me. Our penguins play together. <laughs> That's so nice. That's so nice. Very That's nice. <laughs> and uh, for the American crew, no, I don't know Tony from Woodbridge. <laughs> so on a, on a more serious note, how is uh, how is poker going for you guys? Me personally, big dog, uh, been on a pretty nice heater i think i won like six tournaments in the last five days um had three 20k profit days out of those days Jesus. so uh yeah it's going pretty good right now i was on a bit of a downswing but that don't last long when you're the big dog nice nice uh, for, for me personally um once i once i got on with tournament poker edge i i've kind of i'm in the process of really trying to get my feet wet in the micro low stakes mid stakes area so I'm kind of like basically not revamping my game personally, but just my buying levels and really trying to get my feet wet um, with the uh, with the crew that I'm going to be supplying videos for and whatnot. So you shipped like a couple of tournaments the minute you turned on the recorder, didn't you? Yeah, I mean it, it was funny. I mean I just got the uh, the tournament poker edge uh, vibe going and and yeah, shipped a few. We posted them, got some great uh, comments on them, made a ton of mistakes in, in the one, but it's just. And that's one thing we'll talk about so you guys get an understanding of that you can make mistakes at these certain levels of poker and still get away with wins. Um, that would just never fly at high stakes. So. Yeah. yeah, awesome. And and Big Dog, uh, where are you now in the online player of the year race? I'm uh, currently in first place, but uh, it's pretty close as it has been all year. Um, I had some awesome opportunities in the last few days. I got 11th in the 150 rebuy on Sunday, which is a massive tournament, wow. and uh, got real deep in the F-Tops 1K. I think I finished like 35th. Um, both of those would have been huge for me if I could have pulled them out, but I didn't, so it's real tight and still anyone's game. And now with a month and 10 days left, uh, are there are there big enough series happening where you could see big swings, or is it all just the, the nightlies, the, the standard schedule right now? Well, I mean... It, it's always going to – there's the big tournaments that can be won on a weekly basis can shift the uh, the standings pretty dramatically. Yeah. Like Taylor, who's now in second, um, two weeks ago was in ninth, and he won the Sunday 500 and the nightly 100 grand uh, on back-to-back nights and vaulted in the first place. Wow, okay. So since then, I, I retook the lead. Um, but like I say, anyone in the top ten, if they get on a bit of a heater, can uh, can still win it. Wow. Well, good luck. Good luck in the next uh, 40 days. Thank you. Appreciate it. We know you're going to do it. We know you're going to do it, big dog. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I, think, I think what's incredible to me about this whole run is being an outsider and really good friend with Casey watching is how Steve Stevie last year wins it with, I think it was like a 9,500-point total, give or take. Mm-hmm. And now there's like six or seven guys who can conceivably get in the 10K range in points this year. It's wow. just 
It's an amazing race. And I've watched it close for two, three years now. And, uh, and this is, seems to be the most intriguing race, um, in online poker history. So, so, so Casey, handicapping the field from this point on, who do you think is going to give you the, the most trouble? Well, getting Daisy plays uh, a tremendous amount of volume. Mm-hmm. So I imagine he's not going to be taking too many of the next 40 days off. Right. Um, so I expect he will be tough. Also, he's awesome, obviously awesome at poker. Um, Taylor doesn't put in as much volume, but seems to have uh, great ability to go through huge fields. Um, so I think he's going to be tough. And there's some guys that are lurking back in seventh and eighth place that uh, that are obviously – been MTT regulars and great players for a long time, like Ape Styles, Moment Mori, even Johnny Bax, I think, has just moved into seventh. Wow, that's impressive. So, yeah, interventions in there. Uh, Dipthrong, obviously, he doesn't put in nearly the amount of volume as some other people, but he's now in the top ten. Wow. Uh, so there's, it's honestly, anybody in the top ten can really go, but uh, I think it's going to be me, Taylor, getting Daisy when it's all done. Cool. All right. Well, good luck the rest of the way. Obviously, obviously TPE is rooting for you, but it's been pretty fun to just watch this whole year that race, and you always come back and, and take the lead if someone jumps ahead. So I just hope we keep doing that up until the the thirty first. Like honestly, at this point, I kind of feel like it's it's destiny. Um, yeah. There's been a couple times like I took the lead right at the beginning of the year because I had an amazing Sunday, the first Sunday in January. And uh, I took the lead, and then every time somebody's overtook in the lead, I bounced right back. Like, yep. uh, G. Burrow took the lead one day on me. On a Sunday, he won something huge. I can't remember what it was. And that same Sunday, I won the uh, 100 rebuy turbo on full tilt to retake it. And then Bad Cards AA won the uh, 200 rebuy W coupe and took a lead. And that same night, I won <laughs> a second chance 100 rebuy W coupe. So it's like always like I'm just firing back. I had the heart attack. I fell to fifth place. And and immediately won the 1K on the AP as soon as I came back. Yeah, you know, took the lead, you know. So for for, the, for our listeners who don't know, Casey had a heart attack in August, and he's he took time off, and he still has come back and taken the lead from that time off. So it's it's really just a tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, Casey, so do far, you so good. do you feel, do you feel like you play better when you're kind of under pressure like that, where you're coming from behind, like you lost the first place slot or whatever? Do you do you feel like you just focus more, play a little better, or do you just grind more and put in more volume? I don't know. I, I, like I said, I don't know if I play any better or any worse, but uh, it just seems like every time I need to do something, like when Taylor just overtook me in the lead right there, boom, I won the 100 rebuy uh, right away and retook the lead. Like It just seems like whenever somebody takes the lead, I'm like, fuck that, and, yeah. I, and I win something. You know? I, I, yeah, I'll tell you, when I talk to Casey and he's just lost the lead, he's so single-minded he wants to he wants to win so i think there is something to 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 winning and and if someone moves ahead i think he does get even more determined i don't know just something in your in your your competitive drive i think yeah hopefully for me somebody doesn't take the lead like one day left and i have no time to catch right right that would be worst case scenario yeah yeah Um, i'm not sure when this podcast is going to air but this sunday coming up uh, casey and i have determined that it's probably the biggest sunday of the calendar year wow Uh, there's no more big series in the month of December. It's pretty much straightforward schedule. This is the last F-Tops. We have the F-Tops main event going this weekend. It'll be day two as well of the two-dayer that I believe starts on Saturday. So all these massive tournaments. And then after this Sunday, it's it's regular schedule, man. So Right. Um, and I'm not even sure. What is the, the date on, on Sunday? Is probably like the 23rd, 22nd? I think it'll be the uh, 21st. 21st. Yeah, it'll be the 21st. Yeah, and this will probably go up the 20. Derek, what do we think? Probably the 22nd, right? 
Yeah, that'd be my best guess. Yeah, so we'll we'll know what happened on Sunday. Yeah, so I guess for all the listeners, you can just go back in the um, results and have a look and see how the Sunday turned out, but it's the biggest one. Unfortunately for me, and I'm not complaining, there is a series coming up on Stars that I'm not eligible to play in. And all right. the other two guys that are in first and second, or second and third will be. That's the Coops that are going on, and yeah. obviously the American Coops are much bigger than the Canadian Coops, which they can't play in, but I think only one of my tournaments will qualify for Player of the Year, and like almost their whole series will, so that could hurt me, but I mean, there's nothing I can do about that. All right. All right, well, uh, everyone look out for the the Player of the Year race. Casey is in the lead. Um, he has some people at his heels, but, but we, we know you're going to pull it through, Casey, so good luck for the rest of the way. Thanks, so okay, let's move on to the world. Let's let's, let's talk about the World Series. Um, I we we assume you guys have watched the World Series. You guys know that it, the Canadian won. Um, so congratulations to to Canada for getting your. I believe that's the first world champion for yeah, Canada, that's right? The first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the general consensus is that Duhamel played. You know, aside from a couple of mistakes, you know, the, obviously the Matt Affleck Jack Jack hand, which a lot of people are debating whether or not it's it's a mistake or not. Uh, but most people feel that watch the live broadcast or have seen him play that he played um, one, a very solid tournament. Uh, would you guys agree from what you've seen? Well, I mean, yeah, he played a solid tournament. He, listen, it's one of the biggest tournaments in the world, one of the biggest fields, a huge starting stack. You're going to make some mistakes. Yeah. Um, obviously, the one big hand with uh, before the final table um, with uh, Affleck there, yeah. um, I think he played that hand pretty much as bad as you can play a poker hand <laughs> and got a great result from it. But that sometimes that's what it takes to win tournaments. Yeah. Uh, when I won my first big F-tops, I played an awful hand four-handed against Stamdog and won the hand on the river, and that propelled me to the win. So sometimes it's just the uh, the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, along the way in a big tournament, you're going to have some key suckouts that are going to uh, propel you to victory. Right. I mean, it's just timing, right? When, when do you pick up that... that when do you cooler a guy? When do you suck out on a guy? And he just happened to do it with 13 players left in the biggest tournament of the year. Right. And like, and how how often are there going to be the 60 million chip pot? Right. I mean, that you get you get a 60 million chip pot because a lot of times because you just made a mistake, right? And the guy wants to get his chips in. So you know, no one's going to put in six. It's it's rare for someone to put all those chips in. Uh, not saying that you want to actively look for mistakes, but a lot of times those big mistakes are in the biggest pots. And when you win your 20% of them or whatever he, his odds were in that particular point on the turn, um, and that's when you have the chip, chips to go to the final table. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So we, we, um, that, that was obviously four months ago. Uh, but we, we, before we get into hands on playing, uh, in and out of position from early stages, um, we did want to just talk to you about some of the crucial hands from the final table. Um, there were some interesting ones, uh, there were some interesting ones that I don't think strategically there's much to talk about. That, um, that grinder and Jarvis hand, uh, with the, uh, ace queen, ace queen versus nine nine. Tim, what, what did you call that? The most epic hand? Well, yeah, I, I've been watching it and then obviously picking up from Norman Chad and Lama Karen that this, that hand ultimately ends up being possibly the most epic hand in World Series Poker Final Table history. It was very reminiscent to the um, Phil Ivey, uh, yeah. Chris Moneymaker, and it was nines to ace-queen again, as funny as that is, and he boated out the nines. So it's, it's really close to how, how it was. But I just think in the situation, it being the final table, that kind of trumps the Ivy situation because yeah. that's Ivy of the 10th. Um, yeah. For this to be in the Penn & Teller um, Theater, uh, ace-queen to 9-9, nine, nine, uh, queen-queen whatever flop, uh, have – 
Ms. Rocky's crowd go crazy, and then obviously the nine on the turn flips the energy to Jarvis's crowd, and then boom, Ace on Riv, Barry Greenstein, thank you very much, and the Ms. Rocky crowd uh, revamps. It was just sick. Yeah. Uh, it was great for poker, to be honest with you. I mean, it was that's great for TV. Great yeah. for television. Yeah. And so, the best part about it was I'm sitting at home and I kind of chuckled to myself. You know what I said? Rigged. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing the amateur online guy says when yeah. you're in a situation like this is so rigged. Well, we, for you people who think that way, uh, there's a live example. <laughs> well, and, and for anybody who thinks that playing poker for a living is easy, just imagine the emotional roller coaster of that hand. And yeah. And imagine going through that, you know, several times a night. You know, pretty sure I, I would uh, would not have survived. I would be laying oh. on the floor dying after that river. <laughs> <laughs> on or, either, either side, <laughs> or you, yeah, or you might not have got to see the river to know that you actually won. Yeah, yeah, pretty emotional uh, hand for sure. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so and then there were some hands that I, I, you know, for the most part, they, they started the table pretty, pretty. I, I wouldn't say everyone was short, but you know, they played so long ten handed that. Um, I, I'm not sure what the average stack was, but it wasn't as deep as previous final tables had been. So, um, so I think there were early on um, a lot of just all ins and and you know just sort of hey I got nines here and I'm going to shove and ace queen calls. But as they consolidated to less players, I think more interesting hands came up. And one of the first ones that I wanted to talk to you guys about was it's hand 56. I believe. They're at they're at three three hundred thousand six hundred thousand when a seventy five thousand ante and in this particular hand at, to this point Candio is playing pretty tight from what I understand he uh, from people who are tracking it he only played seven of the first fifty four hands and I don't think he was playing um, very actively to that point and he called from the big blind after Jason uh, Senti uh, raised to one point three five million from late position and Mizraki flatted that raise. From the button, so then it gets to, to to Candio. He's in the he's in the big blind, and he has Queen of Hearts, Ten of Hearts. So then the flop comes, Five of Hearts, Four of Diamonds, Two of Diamonds, and everyone checked through the flop. Uh, so Senti, you know, Senti was pretty short stacked at that point. I think Senti had maybe twenty five big blinds at the most at that point. Um, Mizraki was moving up in chips there. Mizraki had probably about 60 big blinds and Candio had about 27 25 million at that point maybe maybe around that so he was you know operating in the 35 to 40 big blind range as well um so everyone plays pretty, pretty passively on the flop and, and checks uh Senti doesn't want to obviously take a stab he, he must have completely missed and he wants to preserve his stack so then on the turn the king of hearts Falls. So now we have two hearts, two diamonds, king high, and Candio leads out for 2.9 million. And Sentai folds and Mizraki flats. Okay, so at this point, what are you guys thinking about where we are in the hand if you're Candio? Um, what's your plan on the river? Obviously, we have a card to come, but what are you thinking with Mizraki flatting there? What, what, what's, what would be going through your minds? Well, I think uh, the lead by Candio when he picks up the queen, the second nut flush draw, um, I think that's absolutely fine. Um, I would probably take a lead out there. Um, glad to see Senti fold. Not thrilled with Mizraki calling, but uh, my plan is just to hit a heart on the river. Right. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so you're building a little bit of pot. Um, you could take it down right there. Um, no one's shown any interest in the hand so far. And then, um, But Mizraki calls you. 
Okay, so then the river comes with a three of spades, and Candio bets 4.45 million, so he bluffs at the river trying to just continue to show his uh show strength and Mizraki does anyone remember what Mizraki had because I, I I don't have that in front of me I know they showed it on the um on the screen I think he had a, a pair I'm not that's what I think I think he had something like uh that's that's a good question I think he had maybe seven seven is something in my mind right now yeah he had something he had something with showdown value but um and he tanked for for a, a, a long time on that one and then he decided to uh to just let it go pretty pretty good way to represent yeah, you know, a hand when you when you miss on on the river, I think. But does does Candio have you know is is he telling a good story there with his river bet, his turn bet, then his river bet? Well, I mean, he's he's telling a, a somewhat decent story because Mizraki did fold, but um, I think his bet size was maybe just a little bit small because right. there's probably like over ten million in the pot. Right. So um, you know, I might have made it a little bit bigger, but obviously it was enough to get him to fold. Given the whole thing and the, and the fact that there is a couple missed draws on the board um, with two diamonds and two hearts, I think if I'm Mizraki, I, I definitely make that call. I know I call it a bit more than, than I would have, but for $4.45 million, I, I would have won that pot yeah. uh, because I would have made the call, especially with Mizraki having $60 million. Yeah. Um, I definitely would have made that call, so I, I think it was a bad fold by him. But I mean, you gotta trust your reads. Yeah, Candio played the hand fine. It's a weird, it's a weird spot though for Mizraki because Candio, from everything we've seen on TV, he just makes these giant, ridiculous bluffs, and you know he played a lot of hands very, you know, overplayed a lot of hands earlier on. But then at the final table, he's done nothing. So it's kind of like, what, what, what do you trust at this point? Do you, do you trust that the maniac is in there lurking? Or do you, and he didn't go maniac, so, um, but do you trust that, oh, well, he has the capability to bluff? Or do you say, well, this guy is playing tight to move up spots at that point? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not well, sure what I'm doing if I'm his Rocky there. The read, the read it says right at the start is that he was playing very tight, right? Yeah, yeah. The other thing I look at here is the guy, um, filling, I mean, priced in basically out of the big blind, he could very well be on a hand like ace five. And what yeah. if Rocky's thinking he made the wheel? Yep. That three on the river puts a lot of hands into play. Yeah. Um, he definitely doesn't have ace king. Because I'm like, obviously it's getting in pre. So if he's representing that king on the turn, it's it's strange to me. Yep. But that three is an ultra scare card for Rocky with the board wheeling out. I mean, it's very easy to put him on an ace four, ace five, um, and he likes that flop. Yep. And then if he's on a hand like ace four of hearts, I mean, God, how much do you love that turn? Yeah. Um, so for, from his Rocky's point of view, yeah. Um, and the other thing too is with betting. Then the other side of the thinking is. Yeah, you might want to pump six million in there to try to get them to go away when you're bluffing, but also the four point four five million can may also represent begging for a yeah, call, like the super right. value bet, you know. Right. And with that board, uh, I mean, it's tough to call with sevens there, in my opinion. I'm, a, I'm, a, I don't see things as big as the big dog, but sevens for me there, I might fold there with the board texture. Yeah. Let me give you this though. If a guy's shown the ability to bluff and make crazy moves like Candio had, although he wasn't playing at the final table, all it means is he's playing tight at this time. But when he plays a hand, he plays it tight aggressive. So the bluff is still well within his range. And I know that. And given the fact that I have all these chips and this is the value I'm getting to call where I do beat some bluffs, I I make that call every single time. Yeah. Even with the status of Mizraki stack, he has over sixty million. Is that Mizraki yeah. did at that time? Yeah, yep. so, so, it's, so yeah, I, I think it's 
for me, uh, I'm not saying easy call because if your read is that the guy has it, you have to fold. You have to trust your reads. But I think given the fact that Candio has shown the ability to bluff, even though he's now knitting sweaters, I don't care. I still make the call because if his, the bluffs are definitely in his range. He's just playing tighter, but he's still playing his hands aggressive when he's playing. Cool. <clears throat> All right. Um, another hand that was interesting that a lot of people are talking about um, – not so much in mainstream media, but I think on poker forums, um, is when it involved Mizraki, but this time it also involved Duhamel. Um, this is about hand 150, and I think we're about five-handed there. Yeah, we're definitely five-handed at this point. And um, we're at 500,000, 1 million, and it gets folded to uh, Duhamel in the small blind, and he's about 29 million deep, so he's got about 29 big blinds. And he raises 2.5 million from the small blind, um, so 2.5x, uh, into Mizraki. And Mizraki has threes here, and he shoves on, on Duhamel. So Mizraki is the, is the chip leader as well. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Mizraki is the chip leader at this point. So, so, so this is, Mizraki is right at the height of his ascension, um, right in the middle of that tournament there to the chip leader. And, um, he shoves the three. So first off, before we get to what happens next, what do we think about Mizraki's shove for 30 big blinds deep? It's absolutely brilliant. I, yep. I, I think it, I think it's an easy shove. You know, if you if you've decided you're not three bet folding, which he obviously has, right. you shove. You take the play away from from a guy who might do something and four bet shove some awful hand that you're flipping with anyways. Right. So right. if you decide you're not going to three bet and fold, then yeah, I think uh, the grinder shove is is fine. And I probably shove there every single time. Yeah. And Duhamel has. You know, Duhamel is active, right? Duhamel does not sit on his hands. He he plays a lot. So I think, you know, his range there is extremely wide, and, and I think he folds a ton. I think you're right. Um, okay, well, so Mizraki does shove, shove all in, and then Duhamel calls with ace-9, um, 30 big blinds deep there uh, for his, you know, for his tournament life. He is the short stack at this point. Um, and there's a lot of debate whether... The ace nine, first of all, is you know chip EV, but given the pay bumps and the stage and all the things around finishing fifth, as opposed to just sitting back a little bit, um, there's a lot of debate on whether or not ace nine is a is a call there. Well, um, small blind to big blind. Uh, I think when Mizraki shoves, I think he obviously doesn't want action. He's putting him to the test. But I think Duhamel's uh, mental state at this point, coming in as the chip leader, getting crushed, getting crushed, getting crushed, he seems right. a little volatile and uh, basically might even throw the word tilt out there. You can actually see a guy tilting at a final table of the World Series. But for me, I, I can tell you this, and I'm nitty in that spot. If I'm sitting on that stage in the Penn and Teller uh, Theater and I'm forced to make a decision right there, I'm definitely folding so fast, it, 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 it's incredible. I mean, if I'm sitting in a $10 freeze-out online, right. I mean, and, and this isn't a, this isn't a good way of thinking. It should be you should play poker based on hand value and everything, no matter what the buy-in level. But for me, I think in that spot, I'm probably getting getting rid of eight nine. Yeah. I don't. I, I, here here's my thinking. Like, to be honest with you, I, I don't really like the call just because you're still deep enough to you still have over 20 big blinds if you fold, where you can still make some moves and and still uh, chip up and be absolutely fine. But if you've decided. Because I, I, I've seen a couple interviews with uh, with Duhamel that 
Mizraki, when he got the chip leader, he really moved up the aggression level. Yeah. And we don't really see it on TV because we're limited to so many hands. So if you've decided that you're raising and not folding before this happens, then I guess I'm fine with it. You know, yeah, you have to make a stand at some time. And if you just want to show you're not afraid or whatever, then I guess I'm kind of fine with it. I probably would have folded, but I don't think it's the worst play I've ever heard of. Right. Yeah, and I think that's why there's a lot of debate. I think I think people are saying you know saying that and and it's it's an interesting hand though because there is a decent amount of money at stake here um, if you just you know bust here and you're pretty deep, but. Grinder could be doing that, as you said, because he took the chip lead and he's been showing aggression. Grinder, you know, you do have to stand up to Grinder to win this tournament at some point, Absolutely. you know, because he's not gonna he's he's not gonna stop. So it might not be a bad spot to do it, even though well, you're 30. Given the fact that, that you say that there's so much debate about it, that alone makes me think that it's not awful. Right. Because if it was awful, people would just be like, "It's awful." Like, right. You know, like. Same way they did on Chris Moneymaker when he made a few horrible plays and won the World Series. Right. This hand he played awful, this hand he played awful. But uh, given the fact that there's debate about it, it makes yeah. me think it's not awful. Cool. You know? And uh, I, I, like I said, I probably would fold, but I, I, I don't hate him making a stand right there because I, I think the grinder is pushing a lot of hands, and he knows how much money is on stake on the money jumps, and he doesn't need the money as much as other people, and maybe he just wanted to show ultimate right. pressure. And just one last point I want to make. Um, people do have to understand that when you sit down and watch a two-hour broadcast of, of poker, I mean, this is a 17- to 18-hour session condensed into two hours with commercials, with editing. With the, You don't see what, what Duhamel's read is on the whole situation. You don't get the dynamics when you watch poker on television. Um, I had a friend, final table at WPT in Fallsview, and I went down and watched the final table, and it took 11 hours. And then when I watched that, uh, 90 minute WPT program. I was blown away on just my whole take on the situation, and I was in that crowd live as opposed to watching it now for an hour. It just the plays come across differently. Right. So yep, people yeah. have to really understand that these guys are setting these plays up for 10 hours, and uh, I mean you get to see it in five, ten seconds. So yep. my my guess is too, if you took this exact hand and substituted in aliases and posted it in a forum a year from now, you know, instead you had the ace nine, I think a, a huge percentage of people would say call. Yeah, strong point. Yeah. Strong yep. point. Okay. And then, so one more hand that I want to talk about before we move on to the, um, the, the, the strategy topic is the, the, the big hand, right? Um, Joseph Chong, uh, and Duhamel, uh, three handed, um, where, we're, we're obviously late, uh, to hand 213. Chong is the chip leader. He has 95 million chips. Duhamel has 90 million. Um, Reisner has 35 million. And I think, uh, we're, we're at about 1 million or 1.2 million. I'm not sure. It's one of those two. Um, I think it's 1.2 million is the big blind. So they're, you know, 70 something, 75 deep, uh, very, very, very deep three-handed, and at that point, everyone's just wondering when Raisner, um is going to be eliminated, and these guys are going to get heads up, which I think a lot of people were looking forward to a heads-up match with Chong and Duhamel, um, but as everyone knows, it didn't happen. So here's what, here's why. Um, so here's the, the 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 progression through the hand, and I just want to get your guys' take on what happened. So Chong is in the small blind, and he raises to 2.9 million um, with Ace Seven off. Uh, and then Duhamel has queens in the big blind. So Chong goes 2.9 million. Duhamel with his queens goes 6.7 million. 
and then Chong four bets him fourteen point five to fourteen point five million. Fourteen point two five million. Um Duhamel thinks for a second, pushes back with a five bet, goes to min raises effectively to twenty two point seven five million. Um so now at this point, Chong has fourteen million in the pot. He has nine he started with ninety five, so he has eighty one K behind. Given Duhamel's stack, it's you know like eighty K for him to call or something. You know, maybe a little less than that. And then he thinks about it, and then he immediately – sorry, not EDK to call, but that's what he has left effectively. And then he goes all in and obviously is called immediately by Duhamel with the queens. Okay, so everyone knows this hand. It's 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 the biggest hand of the tournament. The consensus is that it's a it's a mistake by Chong, but – but what, what's going on here? How did this happen, and, and why is it good or bad? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with this one. The first thing I'm going to say is, when I get, if I was to get three-handed in that situation, I would treat the, the scenario or the situation like I was playing a six-handed sit-and-go, where we're paying two spots, there's three left, and it's all about uh, taking your spots and managing your stack and basically waiting for Raysner to make a mistake. Um, six betting... All in with ace with ace rag in that spot to me is just an uh, implosion. Um, you you know when the guy five bets you that he's not doing that with ace six, and there's a real good chance that he's not going to the house with eights or sorry sixes, which you're you're, you're flipping with. So in my situation, I just sit back, I take a, a sit and go approach to the scenario. Um, we're three handed, paying two spots, and. We're just going to manage everything correctly to, to, to see us see ourselves get into the money. Essentially, um, that's my take on it. And and, and I know Joseph uh, just through playing uh, with him on circuit events. He's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a guy. Really good kid. And uh, he just took took that position in his tournament to make his his biggest mistake and ultimately cost him somewhere around two or three million dollars. So. Um, that's my outlook on it, and uh, for me, um, I might re-raise there, and if he four bets me, it's an easy muck for me. Or, excuse me, three bets me, I'm probably just getting off it. Yeah. Or even so deep in that spot, you can afford to just flat his three bet and maybe, you know, play a small ball pot from there on in, but there's no way in, in, in hell you should be giving up your your stranglehold on uh, second place when there's this kind of money on the line. Right. That's that's kind of my look on it, and uh, just a shout out to Joe. Tough one, bud. All right, my take is using Tim's exact logic is like I'm, I'm, my nature here is to defend Chong because you know he's a professional poker player, and uh, I've met him on circuit as well, and he's a good guy, and and in my nature is to defend him. So maybe using Tim's theory is he's thinking that Duhamel's thinking yeah. exactly the way Tim is, that he wants to protect his stack and just wait for. Raisner to make a mistake and and then get heads up. So that's why Chong decides to put so much pressure. Plus, there's other dynamics. Like we say, we've condensed the show into a small amount of time. So maybe there was some four and five betting going on that we don't know about. Having said all that, I think he plays the hand absolutely fine up to the four bet where he makes it 14.25 million. I think that's absolutely fine. But when Duhamel makes it 22 million, uh, to six bet shove all those chips, um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's 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 pretty pretty ballsy. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll give him that. It's, the guy's got cojones the size of my head, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I think it's uh, a little too aggressive. But uh, maybe this is the exact spot where he needs to get a little luck and hit an ace, and the tournament's over, and he's now the the World Series of Poker champion. Yeah. 
So, uh, unlucky, and I feel bad for him. Uh, he's getting criticized a little bit too much for the hand. Uh, he made his stand, he made his play, and uh, it didn't work out. But, uh, yeah, I would not I would not have uh, been shoving there with A7 personally. I, I can't really fathom a scenario where I would decide that the six-bet shove is going to work. Yeah, like in my position, when, when Duhamel makes it $22 million, as he's putting those chips in, those cards are being turned over as well. Yeah, <laughs> and like, he's showing you, hi, these are queens or better. You know, I'm not messing around here, bud. Yeah. Well, obviously Chung didn't feel that way. Yeah, that's it. Right. So there's there's some other dynamic we're not seeing because Chung knows how to play poker. So um, I don't know what else has happened at the final table, but obviously Chung thinks there's at least some sort of chance that he's folding. Right. He's not hoping that you know he's guys rolling over queens and he's going to bank his three outer. Yeah. And <laughs> so and just to his to his credit too, to show that he could finish while he was off, he won the five k at the Fiesta del Lago. I mean, that was a huge score. He had the biggest score of any of the November 9 um, during the off time, and it was uh, the 5K Fiesta Lago down in Vegas, and he, he shipped it. So he's got closing game. Um, he just, like Casey's making a good point. I mean, it, it could be something he's seen 25 hands earlier, and he's going with a read, and it, he was wrong. I mean, that happens in poker, right? It's just when you do it on the grandiose of stages, it just gets – it's a microscope, man. You, I mean, that's the whole point of it. But – He's also a guy sitting back with a million dollar contract right now from Full Tilt Poker, and uh, four or five million dollars in his on his hip from finishing third. Yeah, I, I think I think it's so one of the things that Casey said is is what's the most interesting about this to me is that he he thinks clearly that the 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 effect of finishing third and 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 losing here um, is going to play a part in Duhamel's decision to whether to call or fold with whatever he's holding. Um, now. We all sitting here saying, yeah, this guy's queens are better and he's never folding. But like Casey said, he thinks that there's some air in his range um, or something even not necessarily air but foldable hands in his range. And that the short stack being Raisner and the $1.5 million that comes from finishing second as opposed to, to third would get him to fold. And I think that's what makes him a great player from what I've seen on TV and – from what the hands I've reported, I, it, I think from from everything I've read, he's more aware of these things like this at a ta- at a final table and even you know the bubbles of of the final table and, and money bubbles. And I, I've played with him a little bit online, and he's you know he's clearly a good player. But that awareness is more than just playing cards, right? That awareness is playing poker. That awareness is, is understanding the situation and and how to exploit people. And I think he you know. He, he clearly made a mistake in this in this time because Duhamel has has the goods and usually has it, but that awareness is what got him super far because from what I've read and saw, he took so many pots down preflop with with force and aggression that no one else was showing. I, I think in my experiences that I, the only forum I ever see four and five betting light is online. I mean, yeah. in all the live play I've played, I've never seen a guy get his pants pulled down on a four or five bet to a six-bet raise or a five-bet call, and a guy turns over, wow, you got me, he's got seven deuce. I, I see it all the time online. Right. Just, just have the moxie to pull it off. I've five-bet light on live before. Did you have? Did you get called down and show? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, you're the big dog. Right. <laughs> I, I, do, I do have it on good authority that uh, Raisner has now hired a private firm to send Christmas cards, birthday cards, and all other important holidays to Chongqing. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Uh, uh, just last thing on, on the World Series is, is if 
there's a, a podcast that Dennis Phillip does called The Final Table, and Raster was on it um, this week. Yeah. I strongly encourage anyone to go down, anyone who's interested in poker and The Final Table, who, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. Um, Raster is a real um, open guy. He, 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 told it like he you know he was so happy (laughs) and he was not afraid to hide it and he was really upfront and honest about how everything happened at that final table and it was a really great listen um so for his perspective on it all i definitely recommend going to check out that i'll I'll post it on the forum as well the link to it but it was a really fun listen to hear racer's perspective on on it all um but he clearly is the one who benefited the second most from from the implosion and sure two million dollar showdown between two other guys is yeah. <laughs> but it was it was a good final table it was a, it was you know in my opinion it was one of the best ones that we've seen since the explosion just entertainment value and, and play um eight, play. eight legitimate pros yeah you know it was the pros year this year at the world series yep Un- unknown yeah. except for grinder unknown pro though right all the guys that that you know, right doesn't focus on yeah that's a good point yeah Cool. Okay. Well, um, great. Uh, good discussion on the World Series. And now um, we'd like to move on into our strategy session topic, which is position. And just for everybody listening who maybe this is their first time listening, uh, I want to let you know that we do post the hand histories of these hands that we discuss on the website. So go to tournamentpokeredge.com, click on podcasts, and uh, and along with this a link to the podcast, you'll find a link to the hands. So you can uh, you can follow along because I know it does get a little confusing trying to listen to the action as we recap it. So hand number one actually comes from uh, one of our members, uh, Brent to the D, and it is in a five dollar. Uh, one re by one add-on on full tilt poker. So at this point, we're at 250, 500 blinds. Our hero has 24K, so about 45 blinds, and he is on the button. There's a limp under the gun, and on the button, Brent opts to call with the four or five of hearts, uh, small blind calls, and the big blind checks. So we go to the flop with 2350 in the pot, and the, and the flop comes eight king deuce with two diamonds. Okay. You know what? Let's let's just stop for a second though, and and, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think about where I, you know the, the, it doesn't cost them a lot to, to overlimp there, but from a pos- position perspective, what you know the topic we want to talk about. Uh, what are you guys looking to do here in the button? I mean, are you obviously you're going to play more hands than you're going to play from under the gun? But are you guys are your ranges really wide here? Are you guys you know are you guys going to raise here because you're in position or is, would you just flat here i mean just a general idea for in a tournament at this stage what are we looking to do when we have position well and, and for me right away um i'm never just limping into any pots at this point of, like basically my rule is like i'm basically hardly ever limp so that, that's one thing my rule is when the, when the antis when the, the tournament hits antis i'm never entering a pot limping i want to be able to um Show the strength early, you know, get the people worried about me. Um, it's also going to thin this field out. And, I mean, under-the-gun limper right now for me is, is, is a little bit scary. I'm trying to tell people that. A lot of people are limping under-the-gun big, so you got to be careful of that. Um, and then flatting with – just limping with five high, yeah, it's four or five suited, but basically you're playing your button with five high. But uh, I'm never entering pots without raising. My thoughts are, are pretty simple here. I don't mind playing the pot. If the guy's the guy stack is a little bit scary, who limps? Um, so my 
reasoning would be really simple. If this guy has shown the propensity to do a lot of limping and uh, is clearly a fish in my mind, I go ahead and raise this pot so I can, A, isolate him because I don't want the blinds coming in where they have, are pretty much forced into the hand and I can't put them on any range whatsoever. Um, so I'd raise if this guy is just a limping fish and play the pot in position because I don't mind suited connectors in position. Or if this guy has not been doing a lot of limping and with that stack he makes that limp UTG, I just fold the hand. So uh, first off, no, I, I would never limp there. It would, it's not a good spot to be limping. Okay. But But given that we're in position... You don't mind a raise here because we're going to take it down, and if we get called, we have position. Exactly. If, if this guy's been limping a lot and I've determined him to just be god-awful at life, um, I definitely like a raise here in position with the 4-5 suited. It's definitely in a, a deep enough to be raising and uh, try and get the pot isolated. So uh, as I mentioned, the, the flop comes down, uh, eight king deuce, two diamonds, uh, and it goes check, 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 and, uh, and obviously uh, Brent on the button his last act, and he opts to check, which I assume we all agree is perfectly fine since we've essentially whiffed the flop with the exception of, you know, runner-runner draws. I guess if he's deciding that he's going to limp pre-flop and try and smash the flop, and if he doesn't just give up, then, yeah, I have no problem with the check. All right, so uh, we go to the turn, and it's a pretty interesting card, the seven of hearts. So now we got eight king do seven uh, with the seven eight of hearts. So, you know, now all of a sudden a board that looked pretty unpromising has gotten sort of a little more promising uh with the uh with the straight draw and the, the well actually a straight flush draw to be specific um so there's 2350 in the pot here uh, the first act got first guy to act checks and uh, and the second guy bets a thousand into the pot of 2350 we get a fold and then it comes to us so what, what are you guys doing here you know what? Before you guys even answer, I have to say that this perplexes me at this spot because I don't know if I should just call here and just see if you know a relatively cheap card, assuming no one else behind me raises, or if I should start ramping up the aggression and try to get more chips in here. So I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about this specific spot. Well, I mean, just playing it so passively pre-flop, going ahead and putting a bunch of chips in on the turn, I mean, he's pretty much river-dependent, right? We, we can see the, the yeah. action here. Um, for me, I, I'm not, and because I do have position, it doesn't, because I played it so passively pre-flop, I might just go ahead and try to check to take the free card on the river. Because, I mean, if I bet and the guy three bets me here, I mean, I mean, what do I do now? I mean, well, you can't check. He, this clowning guy leads out. He bets. So, um, no, that's right. I mean, obviously for me, I just, I would probably just flat there. But I mean, it is a good spot to go and try to take the pot down. But when you do nothing pre-flop, the guy's going to put you on a move, I think. I don't know. I don't know the aggression level of, of some of the guys at the table, so I, I don't really know. The only problem with the flat is it kind of sets up a squeeze for uh, Nelsock six. Um, he could squeeze, so I don't really hate the raise. Plus, you are deep enough to raise, and if something somebody shows an absurd amount of strength, you're you're okay to go ahead and fold this hand. So I don't I don't really hate the raise. Um, I think calling or raising is fine. Uh, I don't fault either one of them. Yeah, you can 100% rule out folding. You're never folding, obviously, in that spot, but. It's just weird for me, like, if I just call in that spot, but the other side of the coin is if you do hit your river, I mean, putting chips in on the turn is going to allow you to make a pretty good bet size on the river. Well, you're raising, you're raising the turn to take the pot down. Yeah. You're not raising hoping to build the pot because right. You're, you're, you're still, you don't have a made hand. Um, so, uh, like I say, I think either one, the reason it's confusing is people aren't sure what to do is I think either is fine. I think calling and keeping the pot controlled somewhat is fine, or raising trying to take it down, knowing that you probably have outs, is also fine. 
So what 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 really for me is the the, the question that I struggle with is I could raise here um, to you know and 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 Brent uh, you know the the person who posted him he did raise here to three thousand um, and I could raise here and I feel like by raising I can take control of the hand in position and he is less likely to play back at me on the river if there's a blank and even if I don't hit I have a shot at taking taking it on the river is that too high variance for no, this thing? I don't I don't think so I, I I think your your theory is good if you're if you're planning on taking a stab at the the river whether you hit or not then raising the turn is is fine because it's going to make your your line look a lot stronger when you decide to bluff the river. The only thing is that you have to be prepared to sh- to fold if somebody shoves this turn after you raise. Right. Th- that's the only thing I, I'm I, thinking. I, the beauty of the spot too is if you do, uh, you say like let's say you make it 4,500 there on a raise on the turn, give or take. Um, Clowning Kong, if he calls you, he's most likely to check the river. Right, because you've got yeah. position on it. That's what I'm right. saying, exactly. Yeah, so you're you're essentially raising to um, ultimately see if the river card for free, because he's going to check. So you're going to get that river card for free, and then it's up to you at that point with position how you want to play. All right. So let's let's say I make the decision that I am going to raise here because I, I have position, I have a lot of outs on the on the on the river, and even if I don't hit, I'm going to take a stab because uh, I expect him to check to me. What's a good raise size here? Uh, I, I know it's hard. It, right now, there's there's 2,300 on when the turn starts, and then Clowning King bet a thousand, so it's 3,350 in in the pot with a $1,000 bet in front of me. What, what what would you guys raise to? And 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 the stacks are I have 24k, and Clowning King has 55k, and of course those those guys behind me as well. I think I think given the fact that there's somebody else still behind, I think the raise size is almost perfect. I think if it's a heads up pot and he makes it a thousand, you can go ahead and make it like. 24, 25, or something like that. But uh, given the fact there's somebody else behind and you are trying to take control of the pot, I think his race size, his bet sizing here is uh, is pretty good. Great. I think for me too, I, I kind of like raising the turn because I think flatting makes our hand pretty obvious. So you know, if the river does complete some of these draws, I just feel like we're never we're never probably going to get paid. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, does it sort of disguise our hand a little bit? By raising the turn, because most people, especially maybe in a $5 tournament, would just call with, with their draws here. Well, what raising the turn, I mean, what your opponent's going to say, what, what does he have here? Because he didn't do anything pre-flop. He limped in. What are you representing when you raise there? Um, a big right. king, you're, you're raising pre-flop. Right. He's on a big king. There's gonna you, there's no raise pre-flop. So this is where, it, 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 as me as an opponent, I might say to myself, wow, is this guy on every draw in the, in the book here? And, and he's trying to take the pot down at this point? But that's, uh, it, it always comes back to your line, and, and, and that's why I say I never enter the pot without raising, because then you're in these situations on the turn, and yeah. you're, like, confused. Yeah, you can't represent a king later, so that's, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. So it, it's a tough spot. Um, uh, like I said, I think I can make an argument for, for both lines. I, I think raising is absolutely fine. Uh, you take control of the pot, you have position, and it makes it a lot stronger if you've decided that you're going to go ahead and take a, a river stab, whether you hit your card or not. It makes your line look a lot stronger. I think that's the, for me, that's the biggest pro to raising here, is it makes your line look a lot stronger if you're going to go ahead and take a stab at the river anyways. And, but I also can make an argument that you have not invested a lot into this pot. You've limped for 500, and you're 
you've got a free turn card. Um, so just calling if you're trying to control the pot on the turn, I don't think is awful. I think the best line is to raise, but um, I think I can make an argument for either spot. And if, if you go ahead, if you raise here. You have to be prepared to bluff the river if it's checked to you. I'm I assuming. was just about to say that. that's yeah. exactly what I was just going to say to you, uh, Ron. That, 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 that's the thing. Be prepared. If you whiff that river, you, you have to two-barrel there. I mean, you have to barrel the river. You have no choice. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Raise the turn, miss the river, and then just uh, check I missed and give all those chips away? Right. So right. Be mentally prepared to – listen, I, I mean, I've talked to Casey about this lately. If you're going to successfully run a bluff, it has to be done over two streets. Yeah, the equity Where, is made up of two two parts, right? Your equity to, comes from two streets. Yeah. It's yeah. impossible just to bluff. Yeah. You know? and yeah. This goes back to some articles we have uh, written um, – having a plan or pulling the trigger, you have to be prepared to, to follow through. So the best way to do that is with the strongest line, and I think that's why that's probably the best way to play this hand. It's just raise, and then it, it makes your river bluff look a lot a lot better. Okay, cool. All right, so the, the river comes and completes our straight draw. It's the six of spades. So uh, flushes did not get there, but our straight did. Um, there's eleven, a little over 11K in the pot, and um, – our villain is kind enough to jam 23k into an 11k pot, um, at which point it looks like Brent requests time and then slow rolls him. <laughs> I, I just read that. Um, that says Brent slow rolls. <laughs> time it says Brent's playing the slow roll. <laughs> and, and, and obviously we're somewhat joking. I mean, you know, he could have had 16 tables going at the time or something and needed to figure out where he was at, but, uh, but yeah, obviously. down on his hand. Four, five, six. <laughs> well, that is a straight. I call. <laughs> uh, much love, Brent. Yeah, Brent is great. Uh, he's got it's a lot of good posts in the forum. Yeah, um, his post, I, we were actually talking about it today. His posts in the forum are really good. I think he he brings a lot to the to the team. So that's pretty cool. Um, okay, well, he, he, Brent was he his intuition was right though because the guy actually has nine ten for the uh, the bigger the bigger end of the straight. Oh wow! No. Yeah. Does he really? He does. He does. He does. Like I said, he should have folded. I mean, what else? Is, what else? But let's think about what else is this guy jamming? This guy Nelsko, um, he checked the turn and then he called, which is weird. He called the, you know, the raise first. Clowning King raise, op- raises bets. Brent raises and then this guy calls from out of position three k. So I have no idea what this guy has. I mean, I would have thought this guy was on a, on a on a hearts draw, to be honest with you. Well, or two two two. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 There's yeah, some there's true. some hands he's jamming for value that we beat for sure. Right. 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 Because yeah, because the flush doesn't get there. Right. Okay. Right. Yep. So there's like I mean, cooler unlucky river, but uh, yeah. You have to call here, quite obviously, and there's plenty of hands that this guy's shoving for value that we beat, and obviously we beat all bluffs. Yep. Right on. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, second hand. Diego, you want to run this one down? Yeah, okay, and this one is a hand I played, and... Um, oh, I love you. Yes, I'm ready. Hold on. <laughs> I, I During the la- course of the last hand, I put my helmet on. Um, <laughs> I have the pads ready, and, um, and I'm ready for my beatings again because this is a hand that I I feel like... Well, I know I made a really weird turn play, and I feel like I was lost the whole hand, and it's because of I think being out of position um, and and the and the texture of the flop. But the, I picked this hand because it is a position um, question for me, or position is relevant to why I was confused. So um, this is a 
this is 70k on PokerStars, uh, the nightly 70k $50 tournament. We're very early, um, blinds are 1530, uh, and, uh, basically everyone has about a starting stack at the table. Um, so, and I have, uh, you know, 2.8k, uh, 2.9k. So I'm, but I'm in the small blind with Queens. And so M. Morales raises from under the gun to 90, 3x is it. There's a, there's a couple of folds, then there's a flat um, by by one of the players, uh, the guy in middle position two, and then I'm in the small blind with the queens, and, you know, I was playing a lot of tables at the time, and part of me thinks that being out of position this deep, I probably should have just called here, but I raised it to 270, and I'm, I'm you know, is that immediately just a mistake to, to build this kind of big pot out of position? Actually, it's a mistake to think that you should have just called here. Yeah, okay. All right. I always like to say you're awful. (laughs) (laughs) There's not a lot of things that give me more joy in life. Yes, I know that. I know that. I know that's a good Because it's true that you are awful. (laughs) But but no, raising here is definitely the correct line. Uh, Your your hand is, even if you are out of position, your hand is so vastly ahead of an opening range that uh, you have to go ahead and three bet here even an under the gun opening clearly like the guy is opening ace ten of clubs the guy is opening right. tens the, the your hand is so far ahead of an under the gun opening range at any stage of any turning right okay you have to three bet here okay yeah, I just got nervous about building such a big pot out of position, and and but you know I I, I hear what you're saying, I, I you know I understand that, and I'm gonna probably take it down post flop most of the time anyway, even being out of position um, right. if I miss it. Um, okay, well he calls, and so there's the over over caller. Um, so we go to the flop with an 840 uh, pot, and so here's where position is most relevant to me. So now the flop is jack of spades, ace of clubs eight of spades and I have two queens with one of the spades. And so now I'm first to act with what I think is a pretty awful flop. And so I, I, you know, given, given, I I would, you know, if this was a dry board, if it was one, you know, if it was two handed, I would see bet here, you know, almost all the time. Oh, actually, no, I take that back because my hand has a lot of showdown value, but uh, I'm not sure if I want to let him, you know, if I want to check back, but anyway, so being out of position is where I get a little confused because now I have these two guys here um, behind me and ace jack, a very wet board. What, what do we think we want to do here, being first to act? For me, I know I, I don't hate your check. Okay. Um, you're early in you're early in this tournament. I mean, if you want to go, I mean, heads, heads up, single action. I'm probably going to go ahead and represent that ace. Right. I take the pot down, but I think three way action at this stage of a tournament, um, trying to keep this. I mean, I'm check calling. I'm going to see the turn and then make my decision on whether we're billing two barrels or not. But uh, I definitely like the race pre. I like, I mean, def- I don't hate your check. Okay. I mean, if it's, I mean, I mean, maybe at any stage of a tournament, I don't hate check here. Can I, can I talk now? Yeah. <laughs> I hate your check. <laughs> I do. I absolutely one billion percent hate your check i think that if you're going to make the three bet pre which is absolutely the correct play you have to represent the ace now always represent the ace especially when you're sitting there with right. 100 big blinds like i i i can't even fathom the check because uh, now now it's clear i don't have an ace right i mean why am i checking yeah, you? You cl- right. clearly you just went off oh. yeah <laughs> you bet with queens or kings and the ace hit and i broke my hand on the monitor and uh 
now I'm just going to give up the hand. So I you, you have to see bet here, like almost every single time. I, I think the check is, and here's what's going to give me joy, awful. <laughs> uh, let, me, let, me, let me just add one dimension to this. What if it's four-handed? It doesn't matter. Okay, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. You have to see bet here. You're so deep, you've, you've been the aggressor in the pot, you, ha- you have to see bet here. Right. You can see that pretty small, right? I mean, you don't have to commit a huge percentage of your stack, even though you know with these colors you got a pretty decent sized pot. But you can bet three forty-five and have to fold. You're still plenty deep, right? You know what I mean. So yeah, this is this is definitely a C bet. Otherwise, I can't expect to win this pot exactly. any, any other way. So I might as well just give it the three forty-five, the four hundred, or whatever. Give it Plus, a shot. It gives you so many options on the turn, right? Uh, you just say the key thing that I'm actually my thought process in this spot. That's what I'll run through my head, Ron. I'll say to myself, is my only opportunity to win this pot at this point is to bet? Then I'm probably going to lean towards bet. Like I did say, I uh, I don't hate your check because I am more nitty in that spot, and it's probably not the right play. Um, but I do run that thought process through my head. I say, to my, is my only chance of taking this pot down is to bet here? Then I'm going to lean towards bet. If, if I think I can, um, you know, call a, call a turn and make a river bluff or something like that, I'll play differently, but... If it's my only option to win, I sometimes I just go ahead and take. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so okay. So well, well, I do check, and you know they check behind me, and then we go to the turn, and now another club, another spade. Sorry, comes on the board. It's a two of spades. So now we have three, three spades, jack, ace, eight, two. Three of them, three of those cards, spades. And so here's where I have. I actually have no recollection of why I did this or how how I did this. I know I was like ten tabling at the time, but for some reason I decide now I'm going to bet, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to represent a, a two with three bet uh, early. I don't know. I honestly don't know. So you could call me awful, and I, I, I'll, I'll just say I have no idea what I was doing there. Um, but I bet three ninety into eight forty. Um, I just didn't know what to do here. To be honest, I just I don't know what to do here. It's just I don't know if I should try to take control now or just you know check call and see if i hit a, 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 a another spade on the on the river and maybe my queen is good um so i your thoughts guys i don't know i'm i'm confused need help okay. you're gonna think i'm saying this just because i like to say it but that's awful yeah <laughs> because the thing is when you check the flop the only thing that you possibly have here that you're checking the flop and have an ace is if you have ace 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 right and you didn't want to scare everybody over the pot. But I think your turn bet is just like, okay, well, now I'll take a stab at it. When yep. you pretty much showed that you didn't have an ace by checking the flop. So I think your bet on the turn is is, is not good at all. Yeah, because great. no matter what, I'm, I'm in position if I'm the other guy. I'm going to be flatting this turn bet to take it away on the river because I don't think you have an ace. Right. I agree. I can't disagree with you at all. And I don't. I really don't know why I, I did this uh, This put this bet out here i I can't give you a a, a rationale for it i know it's wrong so i know i made a mistake there um but yeah so this guy you know i bet the 390 and m morales calls me that who's the guy who originally raised under the gun and then the other guy in the hand folds and so then the only thing i can say ron i just want to say real quick was the only thing that you could possibly be portraying that you were trying to check raise the flaw yeah I mean, that's yeah. the only, with leading out there was like, right. shit, you know, they didn't, no one bet for me to check raise. I got to get my value in now with my ace. Right. But that's the only thing that I would think of if I was against you. Right. But guys are just going to call no, there. Yeah. We obviously know you hold queen, queen. I mean, if we're at the table that's, and, you, lead, and you, you, you automatically fire the turn like that, I might say to myself, well, you know, maybe this guy was um, trying to set up a check raise on the flop and maybe he likes that spade. 
uh, with the Ace of Spades, like a naked Ace of Spades or something. Right. That's the only thing I could possibly think they're on your line. Right. But uh, knowing that you have Queen Queen, it's uh, awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then we go to the river. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not give up on how bad it was. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's here's one thing I just want to point out to, to players is is why you should be c betting the um, the flop is this sets up right now my favorite play in poker like I always have different plays like my three bet job or whatever but if I c bet this flop and uh, Morales six six decides to flat and then that turn comes to two of spades and now I go okay well I c bet I took my shot at the pot and I check. And then Morales goes, okay, he doesn't have the ace, he has queens or kings because he just took his C-bet like 95% of half-decent poker players would have, um, and decides to lead the turn or, or go ahead and bet the turn, you can check shove. Right. And, and it sets up that play because I don't think Morales has, is on an ace here. My, my feeling is that he isn't on an ace and playing pot control. Like, uh, obviously, you're pretty deep for this play, but it does set it up if your read is that he doesn't have an ace. So it's another reason to to go ahead and see that the flop. So right. it makes your turn plays a lot better. Right. I like that. Yep. Makes sense. Um, okay. Well, we go to the river. He he just calls. Uh, we go to the river, and it's a ten of diamonds. Um, and I at this point just give up because, like I said, I was confused, lost, and I know I played the hand awfully. Um, and he actually checks behind me. Well, before that, um, given what I did, uh, you know, I know it's probably hard to, to, to figure out what to do next because you wouldn't take this line, but uh, I just gave up because I figure that I'm, I'm beat here. And I don't know if I'm going to get any folds given my line if I, if I take another shot. Well, saying that you're beat and given the fact that you know the end of the hand um, confuses me a little bit because with him checking behind, I don't really feel like he has an ace. I think he has like King Jack or something. Um, I, I don't really feel like he has an ace here with him checking behind on the river. I think you probably win the pot. I could be wrong. I'm sure you'll let me know and maybe give me an awful later. But um, <laughs> the thing is with him checking, uh, I don't think you're you're going to lose this, this pot. Am I wrong here? Yeah, he actually had ace-king. He had ace king. He had ace king. Yeah. Well, I, w- I was just going to ask you if he had ace queen because he's worried about the spade board and yeah. the uh, Broadway. Yeah. That's uh, what I happened mean, here. Awful by him. Like, why is he checking that flop? Right, because I'm not checking the made anything made. Right. Right, right. and yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Pretty. I mean, I guess you found the one percent or two percent of people out there in the poker world that are worse than you. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> So it's going to be, guys, it's going to be a long time before Casey comes back on the podcast. <laughs> no, it's actually going to be a long time before we put any of my hands back on the podcast. <laughs> no, I picked the tough hands. So I don't, uh, uh, next time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I pick a good hand <laughs> before showing for you. No, it's, it's, it's all good. It's, it's, this is the spot where I, I was confused, so I know, know I made a big mistake here. Well, I think you lost the minimum, so good on you. Yeah, you did. Absolutely lost the minimum. Because he's probably going to, he's probably going to, Check raise that flop. You, if you, I mean, excuse, not check raise, but three bet you that three bet that flop. You lead out. He's got ace king. I mean, he's definitely. I mean, is he just calling that? Yeah, flop? but I think that's another reason to to see bet the flop is if he does decide to check raise, you can get away. You can just fold your queens. Right. And you didn't you didn't lose a huge percentage. You know what I mean? Like right. So. Yeah. Right. I mean, I imagine could... if the if the river's an ace. Do you not think your queens are good then? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Given this line, like. I would. Cool. All right, let's move on to hand number three. This is another one from the forums and from our from one of our members, Lefty Mike. It's a $5 tournament on Full Tilt. 
and we're we're still fairly early. Uh, blinds are at sixty one twenty, and uh, and we have almost nineteen k. So we have like a hundred, almost one hundred and sixty big blinds. So we are playing uh, pretty deep, and and the uh, there's several other pretty deep uh, stacks at the table as well. So um, so we have the jack ten of spades, and we are on the button. Uh, there's two folds, and then we get a raise to two eighty, and two more folds. And then uh, it comes to us on the button with the jack ten of spades, and, and Lefty Mike opts to call. You guys cool with that call? They're on the button this deep. Well, I mean, personally, the fact that we're so deep and we're on the button, uh, I don't hate it. I mean, I, I try not to play too many pots early, but we do have a big stack, and this other guy is also big stack. Our hand flops really good. We could probably disguise it from from people. So uh, I don't hate it. I mean, if you, if you decided, you know, you you want to try and mix it up and, and take people with big sacks and disguise your hand and try and win a big pot, then, yeah, I don't hate it. For me, um, 100% playing this pot if there's antis, like I'm calling the guys raise pre if there's antis. And then I'm like you're just kind of on the fence if, it, uh, if there's no antis for me. But looking at my stack size of 158 big blinds, um, flatting there, flatting my button, I mean, it's, it's easily, disgu- easily disguisable hand. And the key is yeah. not only that do you have 158 big blinds, the other guy has a, a huge stack as well. So there's right. definitely some value in trying to smash something here and, and stacking another big stack at the table. Yep. Makes sense. We, we get a call from the small blind as well, and then uh, and then a big the big blind folds. Uh, so there's 960 in the pot, and the flop comes king-queen-three uh, with two hearts. First player to act checks. And then the the original razor makes it 480, so uh, you know about half pot, actually, exactly half pot. So you know we've obviously flopped the up and down straight draw. Uh, there's a fluster out there. Uh, what are you guys doing here when we get this when we get this bet on the flop? Again, you're trying to disguise your hand, your strength. You pick up a hand with a lot of outs, but unfortunately, you're not sure if your outs also complete the other guy's outs. For example, the ace of hearts would be a, a kind of greasy card or it could be at least, or the ten of hearts. Um, so, uh, again, this is kind of the same situation. I can make an argument for either. I don't hate call, and I don't hate raise. So uh, if this is the way he chooses to play the pot, then I'm definitely okay with him just calling. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I'm okay with calling as well. I think if it's kind of the other way around, like I hold king-queen and it's a jack-ten board, probably a good spot to raise with the open-ender and two overs. Really nice spot to semi-bluff or whatever without mm-hmm. being made. Um, but in that situation, no. I mean, with the, with being so deep, uh, you flop the open-ender, you have a really good shot of uh, stacking off another big stack. Uh, I'm really okay with the call. And when, when you're in, in position like this, do you do you ever consider, well, I can just raise, I can raise here so that he checks the turn to me, so that if I whiff, you know, I'm going to get a free card? I mean, does this, almost like just investing in the flop, so you don't have to pay, you know, you don't have to call another bet on the turn. Well, then, I that... think that that's if that's your only reason for for raising, I think that's wrong. A, you raise to try and take the pot down. But here's the thing with that one: this whole hand is is made to disguise and play a pot where you smash it and you stack a big stack. The thing with raising here is because you are so deep. If the guy decides to to put in a, a, a lot more chips where you're not getting the right price to call your draw, you've just wasted your hand. Your whole plan right. is gone. If you raise here and and he decides that he's going to put in 3,200 chips after your raise and you have this draw, 
Yeah, and let me ask you, KB, what, what's your plan if you raise the the uh, flop and the guy re-raises you? That's what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, that, that's yeah. Exactly what I'm just, and maybe it didn't come out right, but your whole plan is to stack this guy. If you raise and this guy makes it 3,200, you have to fold because you're not getting the price on the draw. Right. So your whole plan shot by raising here. So I, I, I definitely kind of like call. Me too. Okay, so so the. Uh, lefty Mike opts to call, um, which we all, you know sounds like you guys are, are cool with. Nineteen twenty in the pot. Turn comes the Queen of Diamonds, so pairs the board with another Queen, and uh, and our villain bets eight eighty into nineteen twenty. So board pairs. We still have our draw, but now you know maybe things aren't looking quite as promising. What do you guys do here? I definitely don't like raise there. Um, if I'm going to be raising that pot, like I said, it's probably going to happen on the turn a little, but then, like we said, how it's going to affect the outcome down the road. Um, I think for me, uh, I might just go ahead and call 880 in that spot or fold. I mean, it, it's a really tough spot. You've got no overcards. You've got no flush draw. You're basically calling, you're calling down, you're going to be calling 880 on the turn for, for what, eight outs. And like Casey stated five minutes ago, those outs may be the outs that crush you. Okay. Right. So. I mean, yeah, you got eight eight outs, you know, in the big picture, but uh, do the aces hurt? So it's a very tough spot. I mean, I'm probably probably going to lean towards um, folding to the 880, and that's just kind of how I'd play that hand. As much as I hate to do it, i got to agree with the T-twist on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I think that's a fold on the turn. Um Again, you're pretty deep in this tournament. You don't want to give away all your chips that you've accumulated. You're in the top 10 or 15% of the tournament, I'm sure, in stack. Um, you're giving it away on which a basic bluff here. That I mean, you could be drawing dead at this point. It could be guy could be holding king queen. Um, I think this is a fold. I think at least 90, 95% of the time, unless the guy has been a complete aggro nut. Um, I see no reason to raise or, or continue with this pot. I would probably just fold. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, but his decision to make it twenty four seventy nine, and like, it really kind of does baffle me. I mean, there is definitely no spot. There's no. There's just no room for a bluff at this spot because that's more than that's not a semi bluff in my opinion. When you're you're faced with just a river card where you know that your two cards aren't live in, in most cases, um, that's more of just an outright bluff. And I don't think that this is the right opportunity to to go ahead with that. I agree. This is a this is a bad spot to go ahead and raise. Yeah. Yeah. So probably a fold, but if any if we're going to continue, we should just be calling here. Yeah. Right. If you've decided you want to try and hit your eight outs and hopefully that be good, then uh, yeah. I, which I is just... which is negative EV. So. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. looks like he's just trying to rep. He has that queen, and and but if the guy has the king, he's probably not folding here anyway. So. Yeah, especially this deep. Well, I mean, given the, that fact is, if if Mike decides to just call, it, it kind of looks like Mike might have a queen. Right. Well, I, that's what I think I'm saying. I think he's probably trying to rep that he has a queen here, and he's raising because he's so strong. But if this guy Caesar has a, a king, he's not folding to that because he doesn't believe it with two kings out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think this is a, again agreeing with these twists. This is a fold spot. And let's go back to the start. There's no way lefty Mike with a hand like Ace Queen. What what Queen is he playing? He may he may have Queen Jack. They may, but if he's got Ace Queen, he's not. I, I see a raise pre flop, a three bet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you can, if he's trying to represent that Queen, then he 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 screwed himself not setting up uh, the the uh, the powerful hand off um, pre flop. He just goes right. ahead and falls. I mean, everybody's three betting there with Ace Queen. 
The, bet, the raise is also a little bit big, to be honest with you. I yeah, think you can get yeah. the, the same effectiveness here if you make this 2105 or even 1995. You can get mm -hmm. the same result. Right. So to, to, to Tim's point, it kind of goes back to paying attention to what your line is and making sure that it makes sense. Um, right. Um, it's telling the story, KB. I mean, you got to tell that story. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna buy a golf book and read the first three chapters. It's all about golf, and then all of a sudden, chapter six is about hockey. Just <laughs> like what the right. what's happening? This line is this, this, the story doesn't make sense to me. All right. So, so K KB, you owe me twenty bucks. I knew they'd bring up hockey, being Canadian. So I knew they'd put that in here. <laughs> Dang <sometime>. it! <laughs> here's, here's what I'm gonna bring up. Not hockey, but to the point of your line, you go. I have a strong line, strong line, strong line, strong line. Or play like Diego. I'm awful. I'm awful. <laughs> <laughs> Just All right. I'll go back and tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> I cool. should know not to not to incite the big dog. <laughs> yeah. You, you brought that on yourself. Yeah. Again, see what happens. <laughs> I did. <laughs> 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 um, okay. So uh, so in in this actual hand, uh, lefty Mike. Um, as we've kind of alluded to, you know, does raise to 2479, which, which Big Dog thinks is a little too big and probably shouldn't be, well, definitely shouldn't be raising anyway. Um, and the villain calls. River is the ace of clubs, which, you know, I guess when we see that card, we're happy, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not to, so sure we are. But when the villain checks, uh, as he does in his hand, you know, with 7K in the pot, he checks. We both have lots of chips. I mean, I guess you got to go for value here. No I mean, with him checking and the way you played the hand, how do you not value bet on this river? I mean, uh, as much as I hate his turn play, uh, I'm going to value this river almost every time. You hit your card. I mean, right. Exactly. I mean, you, you, that's Yahtzee. Yeah, you hit your card. You have, uh, See, I'm going to be wrong again, but there's no doubt after I've seen Caesar raises here and Mike calls, Mike loses his pot. I, I think there's no chance that Caesar doesn't have it here. Um, although I'm probably going to be wrong yet again and just want to go hang myself, but uh, <laughs> you're right. He the yeah, guy has ace queen. The guy has ace. Yeah, I was, I, 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 ace I, queen I was just going to say the same thing. I thought I thought he played ace king poorly, or he had ace queen. So yeah, I mean uh, it's unfortunate, but I think the value bet on the river is fine. Um, I, I would almost want to fold to his shove, although you're getting a absurd price. I just don't think that there's many times you're going to be uh, winning this pot calling that shove. Yeah, it is an awkward spot because it is so little to call, but I just don't think Caesar does that with anything we beat. 1%, 2% of the time you're winning the spot with 10 yeah. Right. If we're really lucky, we're chopping. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a bet fold. Yep. Okay. So yeah. to back it up, his, his play on the turn is what's basically ended his tournament for him. Yeah, because he he can probably get away from that pretty easy. Very simple. If he if he doesn't bloat that pot. Yes, very very. And here's the thing: now that the pot's not bloated, um, but he's just like value betting, and now you're sitting and you just call. I mean, you lefty Mike can check, or sorry. And he, and here's the thing: like, it, it's strange to me that BH Caesar must have a great read on lefty Mike to check his value on the river is sick to me. Yeah, <laughs> that is sickness. To have the the kahunas to do that, how do you miss your value spot there? And 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 by missing his value spot there, if 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 he's got the kahunas to do that, then wow, did he ever set Lefty Mike up in a in a hardcore fashion? Yeah, but I don't think it matters. I think if if Caesar jams here, Lefty Mike probably call a thinking, well, maybe he missed hearts call. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I mean, yeah. I mean, but here's the thing: if he just calls the turn, calling that river 
bet if he's betting value, he might just get okay. I got. Here's the thing: if he folds the turn, yeah, he's still got a gazillion chips yeah. and moving on. That's, that's what that's what we're saying. I mean, it goes yeah. back to the turn, and that's where the, the big mistake was made. Okay. Okay. Very good. So yeah, thanks, uh, Mike, for that hand. It was definitely uh, an interesting one. All right, so I think so. I think that wraps up our uh, strategy discussion today. I want to thank uh, Tim and the Big Dog for stopping in today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. And um, for more of Tim and Casey working together to beat up site founders, um, they uh, right now we're currently running a Stick It to the Man where they review Derek's uh, 10K. It was 10K tournament, right? Derek, awful, uh, five, awful, awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't I won't be listening, so let me know how it is. <laughs> so look forward to a lot of um a lot of, of Derek uh um folding um and, and the guys beating him up for it. And and also he makes a guys he makes a run at the TLB in this tournament, right? He does. He has a really good chance at the TLB. He has a strong run at the TLB. I yeah. think he's unbeatable. Right. And 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 what is that? What what is the TLB? The TLB is the uh the, the monthly uh, tournament lobby board leader. <laughs> Uh, Killing Bird thought it would the TLB stand for who could check the lobby the most, and he clearly holds his uh, records. See, I, as of uh, 12 seconds ago, I'm still 2 of 25 here. <laughs> oh, well, as of 3 seconds ago, I'm still 2 of 25 here. Awesome. strange why I'm still 2 of 25, and we haven't even played a hand. Look at that, I caught the spot. Somebody else just completed a hand. 3 of 25. <laughs> Well, for more uh, for more strategy and entertainment, um, download the Stick It to the Man series. Uh, it's a four parter of these guys reviewing Killingbury's tournament. So, uh, so once oh, again, I can't wait. Yep, uh, guys, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys coming on and uh, and talking strategy with us. And uh, we will see you guys on the next time you're on the podcast. Take it easy, everyone. All right, take, take it easy. It easy. Yep. All right, thanks, guys. We're gonna take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a poker training site that focuses exclusively on poker tournaments? Tired of wading through cash game videos looking for the occasional tournament video? Well, look no further than TournamentPokerEdge.com. In addition to training videos, Tournament Poker Edge has blogs, forums, a member chat room, poker-related articles, and much more. Pros include Casey, Big Dog, Pocket Fives, Jarzebek, Ryan, Hit the Panda, Franklin, and Jonathan Ween. Tournament Poker Edge has the lowest monthly price, and unlike most poker training sites, there is no initial sign-up fee. So sign up today and find out why Tournament Poker Edge has quickly become the number one choice of tournament players looking to improve their poker skills. TournamentPokerEdge.com All right, welcome back to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Uh, that was a great session with those guys. I learned a lot today. How about yeah, you? That was that was awesome. Um, God, they're just so smart, right? <laughs> just so I know. Like you know, I, you know, I get beat up. Like first of all, we are. I am not bringing any more hands to the podcast until you start bringing hands. Because <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> There's a reason I can't find hands. It's I, I know. You know, for all the <laughs> listeners out there. We, we, you know, Derek and I do a lot of prep for for the show, and and we get hands together, and and we, you know, we, we figure out what the topic's going to be, and then we go off and find hands, and it just so happens that Derek can never find a good hand from his <laughs> tournaments to to represent the issue that we want to talk about, um, and I think Derek is just a lot smarter than I am, <laughs> <laughs> and he knows how to avoid uh, getting beat up better than I do. Um, right. No, I am you, your turn next. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, you know, no, it's funny. It, 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 if if Big Dog is calling you awful, 
that means he loves you. <laughs> you know, exactly. when big dog stops paying attention, then you lost his interest. Now, you know, so it's all, it's all good. And, 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 uh, and I already knew that the hand was bad going into it. So, yeah. And I don't think we've said this before, but you know, we're not, we're not going to just pick out hands that were played perfectly because it leaves very little for discussion, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you, you should have raised there and you should have called there and you played it perfectly. End of discussion. Yeah, uh, one thing I learned from that discussion, and I really like the hand that Brent D gave us with the 4-5. And, yeah. And when we talked about what to do in the turn, when, when we when we turned the, uh, the, the straight flush draw, and that whole conversation around, you know, since we have position, right? Now, we have position on the, on, uh, in this hand. We could do so much more. We have so many more options available to us on the turn. We could flat or we can raise. Mm-hmm. And we can do either one of those things because when the river comes, we have the opportunity to make a dec- you know, to make another decision with more information. So it I think that hand really highlighted just how important position is to to the overall profitability of of, of a hand or, or a starting hand or just in general, you know, from the different positions. If you look at your, like, your, your holder manager, you'll see that your profitability increases by far, you know, as position gets, gets, it's more relevant. Right. Uh, but that hand really, really highlighted it to me because we, we were able to just sit there and decide, do we want to raise or do we want to flat? Like, it was completely up to us how the rest of this hand went. And yeah. I know he ended up losing the hand because it was a kind of, kind of a weird spot, but, you know, over the long run, that, that he had complete control there, and that's what position's all about. And and you really should consider position and, and you know fold more early and raise more late because you just have it's just such a much more profitable spot when you have position in a hand. That's what I do. Yeah. That. Yeah, and for me it was really interesting to hear Tim talk about uh, lines and putting together lines that make sense. Yeah. And I think um, you know. I know that I, I'll, I'll pick hands when I, when I review sessions and stuff, and I'll, I'll either post them or send them to a friend or look at it myself and say, well, what do you think of my line? Does my line make sense here? What I don't do enough of is asking myself that in the middle of the hand. Right. Does, does my line make sense here? Right. Can I represent a king or now that the, like the seven doesn't – shouldn't change my story? Yeah. Like, oh, yes. you know, like the first thing to think is would I have ever played preflop with the hand I'm trying to represent now? Okay. Right. Yeah, and it's really easy to either have a skewed view of your line or or think that your line was perfect when you're looking at results and looking at the full hand. But I think it's really important, you know, like on the turn, for example, to ask yourself, what what line am I telling? You know, what's, yep. what's my line so far? What story am I telling? Yep. And how do I complete that story now? Yep. You know, do you know, does a raise make sense here based on what I did pre-flop? Well, that, that's and, why it's so important to, to to review your hands after and talk to people about poker, right? Because yeah. you're just going to – if you just breeze through it, even just reviewing your own hand history is not enough because you could just breeze through some of these things. You really need to have a conversation with yeah. someone about it. Yeah, and I think lines that you take tend to make more sense to you than they do to others because you took it. <laughs> Right. If that makes any sense. Yep. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. You, you play a lot of hands that way because it's it's a habit you have or it's a style that you have. Well, you know uh, what you do? You take the shortcut in your mind to ha- I'm here, like I'm here in the turn, right? Because mm-hmm. you it, it happened to you and you're you have a routine, right? All the synapses are firing in the you know the the, the manner that they've they fired in a million times before, right? But yeah. if 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 you're if you have a leak or you're just, you know, you're not, you're on autopilot. Um, you're not going to notice it because of that, because of the, the the repetitive behavior that you're 
you know, that, that, that poker lends itself to, or at least especially online poker, which is why breaking that routine and just thinking about it differently by someone stopping you and say, whoa, 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 let's talk about the flop, you know? Right. And that's right. just like, just that conversation will make you a better, better player overall because you'll start thinking a little more deeply. Yeah. It's yeah. fun. It's fun. It's fun to, to, you know, it's fun to, to, to talk to those guys. Um, so far, you know, so far so good. First one, you know, we, we've, we talked to, uh, Casey and Ween and then we talked to, to, to Panda and, and, and Hag and now, now those two guys and pretty soon we're going to get Ween and Cougars on. So, um, you know, it's good to also mix it up a little bit with different people, which is what we're doing here. So yeah, I get some different uh, feedback and, and different viewpoints. So, um, yep, I thought it was good. I took a lot from it and uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully trying to apply some of it uh, to my game. I, I also like the, um, the discussion that we had with those guys on the, um, the Joseph Chong hand because, uh, he, even though he, he failed at it in terms of him trying to, uh, make a move based on his perception of what his opponent is thinking at the time, mm-hmm. um, the, the whole, you know, level of, uh, he knows that, that, you know, 1.5 million is at stake here for just, you know, if he just folds, like him knowing that Duhamel, must have that in the back of his mind. And even though, once again, it failed, is a really important part of of controlling um, your table and controlling the pace of things. So uh, yeah. I thought that was interesting, too. And, and, and I think as you get better and you make more final tables, that's an important uh, part of being someone who owns the table. Right. Just picking the spots well, which you know, we have an example of maybe a spot he didn't pick well. but Yeah, like I said, it happened to not work in that case, but uh, you know, he, he was pretty aggressive at that table and, and that aggressive style was working for him yeah. a ton. Yeah, no way know? he makes third without playing that way, especially when you saw the beats he was taking uh, right. along the way that were broadcast. You know, he took some yeah. really bad beats. Yeah. Um, good, good stuff, good conversation, fun, fun to talk to those guys. Definitely. And, uh, so what, what do we got coming up on Tournament Poker Edge this week? Um, well, we've already mentioned it, but your lashings begin, uh, today. Well, today uh, being the 19th when we're recording this. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we most, mostly got that. Uh, I, I think that that series is going to run for, for a little while. You know, as always, the forum is, is, is super active. Uh, Ween has been, uh, blo- blogging and writing about, um, sort of the psychology of poker. You know, his last article came out this week was dealing with success in poker, which is a really interesting read for someone who, and we talked about this, uh, earlier for a segment where, you know, I had some success for two years that sort of, I became uh, content and I think I fell behind a little bit. So, right. uh, so it's kind of dealing with that, that topic. So, um, so, so we got that, we got, you know, we've got the podcast coming up. Obviously you guys are, are listening to that. And then uh, as always, we have, um, you know, our video schedule, um, we're going through it, and and the stick it to the man should be a fun one to to, to listen to. Yeah, you, you, you let me know if it is or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't be listening. <laughs> I, no, I don't watch it because you, 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 nothing is as effective as as the, the beating you're going to get in it. Yeah. Trust me. Trust me. No, I'll, I'll definitely be checking it. I'm actually I'm joking, but I, I'm sort of looking forward to it. Amazingly enough, so yeah. <laughs> it should be it should be pretty fun. And you mentioned the weed article. I really suggest people checking that out. And I, I think it's cool because it applies. You know. When he says dealing with the success, he doesn't necessarily mean you had a six-digit score and you quit your job and, and you're living life great. It just means you've achieved some goals that you set for yourself. That might be you know, winning a 4180. Right. That might have been your goal. You might have had a $50 bankroll, and now you, you, know, now you have a $300 bankroll. Um, but it, but it, he, he, make, he brings up some really good points that I think are applicable to people 
playing all different levels. You right. know, it doesn't just you know success doesn't just mean being rich or anything. So absolutely, absolutely. I thought it was a really great, really great article. Yep. And then we have um, also some uh, Charlie uh, Hagbard is coming out with a series. Uh, it should be sometime next week. And then um, Tim is going to do another low stake series uh, following that. So uh, pretty, that'll be great. Pretty good shape so far. So. Yeah, the the members love the T twist low stake stuff, so I yep. think that'll be really cool. Yeah, he's well. Those guys are. I mean, you heard him talk about it today, and 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 Sean is 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 on par with what he does in terms of being able to talk about the game. Yeah, uh, they're really good at that, and 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 make it digestible. So definitely cool. cool. Well, uh, another podcast in the books. Yep. So uh, you know, looking forward to the next one. We'll get yep. that rolling uh, very soon. Yep. In the meantime, thanks to uh, Big Dog and to T-Twist for joining us today and thanks to all of you for listening and we'll see you next time on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. All right, Poker Face, take us out. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, whoa